Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Gaucho Amigos. I'm Alex. Today, my guest is Rob Delaney. He's an actor and comedian. He starred in and co-wrote the TV show Catastrophe. And more recently, he's been in some big Hollywood blockbusters, uh, such as the most recent Mission Impossible movie. Uh, He also played Elvis in the Elton John biopic Rocket Man, but uh, that scene got cut out, unfortunately. Uh, He recently published a book, uh, a memoir about coping with the tragic loss of his son, Henry. It's called A Heart That Works and uh, is available wherever you buy books now. And I've personally been aware of Rob, I think like a lot of people, really through his uh, Twitter account. You know, it was one of the first truly inspired accounts on that website. Uh, I've been a fan of that for a long time. He's a really, really funny guy. And uh He's recently become afflicted with a uh, pretty bad case of Dan mania. You know, he's got the steely Dan bug. I'm sure listeners of this podcast can relate to that. So I thought it would be fun to uh, have him on the pod to hash it out. And yeah, I had a great time talking to Rob about his uh, somewhat recent steely Dan journey. Before I share our chat, I just wanted to announce that next week, that's exactly one week from today. I'll be putting up the first bonus episode of Gaucho Amigos. Uh, To get access to that, you will need to subscribe to FM Plus. Uh, You can do that on the Apple Podcast feed or directly on the FM Pods website. That's fmpods.com. It's $4.99 a month. And uh, you'll also get access to the entire back catalog of Gaucho Amigos. Uh, You may have noticed I've put just about all of the episodes from the first half of this year uh, behind the paywall, save for a few samples. So smash that subscribe button and uh, support the podcast to get all access to that. Uh, The crux of the bonus episode will be what is essentially a part two of my conversation with Rob Mouncey from a few weeks ago. So if you listened to that episode and uh, enjoyed that, uh, you'll want to tune in. You know, on that episode, we talked a lot about uh, Gaucho tracks, uh, Babylon Sisters, uh, Glamour Profession, and Gaucho. Uh, but we talked about some other tracks he worked on with Donald uh, as well, including Third World Man and uh, IGY. So if you want to hear that, plus uh, some other stuff, uh, subscribe today or at least by next Tuesday to get all access. Okay? All right. Without further ado, this is my conversation with comedian Rob Delaney. Enjoy. Well, I'm new-ish, you know, to the disease, so to speak, <laughs> of uh, of Steely fan, Steely Dan fandom. Um, but like a lot of people, you know, I've fallen hard and fast. Um, I, uh, you know, I just, I think, I don't know if it was during lockdown. It might have been before lockdown. Uh, but I certainly did this a lot during lockdown where I just dove into different bands uh, like, you know, the Beach Boys after Pet Sounds, for example, where there's individual incredible masterpieces that you kind of have to hunt for um, or the Bee Gees or Fleetwood Mac before Nixon Buckingham joined. But uh Steely Dan was one where like when you start to pull a thread there's just so much more to learn and they just it just rewards deeper exploration it's like <laughs> there's just so much to to learn and enjoy so I uh I got it bad yeah it's a journey as I, I like to call it a, journey, <laughs> a Steely yeah, Dan journey I'm, having, I'm not getting tired of it you know 
Because because the groundwork is laid, you know, like you probably know a few of the songs from when you were a kid. So you have mm -hmm. that kind of foundation. But then it's when you go that first level deeper that things yeah. start to like open up, you know, and then and then you go on the, the journey. So yeah. do you remember um, like your earliest memory of hearing them? Oh, sure. I so I'm 46 and okay. I grew up in Boston where we had WBCN. Uh, which was an amazing station, you know, a big like AOR station from the 70s and then into the 80s um, that played them. They also had a little thing that they spliced together of songs that have the word Boston in them. So <laughs> Boston Rag was in there. Um, okay. And uh, it's funny being from Boston and now I live in London in the UK um, when I hear the Boston rag, it's like deeply important spiritually to me and reminds <laughs> me of my childhood and all this. Um, so, yeah, so I made myself a little mix of songs like I just I just went A through A to Z through their discography. Uh, let's just say it was early in, the, in lockdown, for example, and um, made a mix was particularly struck by the song Fire in the Hole. Mm. Um just incredible piano work there <laughs> by Fagan and then some slide guitar at the end. I was like, whoa, these guys are, I mean, I knew they were like song crafts people. Um, you know, I'd heard that, you know, the nerdy people that I knew that really loved them. So I was like, oh yeah, they, but they also know how to, you know, be nasty yeah. um, and jam. And so, yeah, I was just quite struck by them. And then, you know, you go deeper, you hear a song like Charlie Freak, and you're like, hey, weird. The lyrics are also good and evocative, <laughs> which is so rare. I mean, I listen to music all day, every day, and I have bands that I'm obsessed with. And, you know, but usually the music is more important than the lyrics. And I say yeah. that as somebody who's a writer, like I make yeah. my living with words, but usually I'm like, yeah, I don't care about the words. But what's amazing about Steely Dan is there, it's like the perfect sweet spot of incredible attention and care going into both the lyrics and the music. So they're something else, as you're well aware. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm usually drawn to, uh, I don't turn to music because I want to hear like, you know, poems. It's it's a lot of the times when I'm listening to music, it's kind of in the background, right? You're driving, yeah. you're you know trying to get some work done or something. So yeah. But but with Steely Dan, you know, uh, th there will be like individual lines will just jump out with like oh, yeah. a turn of phrase or just the reference or the way it's sung is just so striking yeah. and, and the way, you know, the way it all comes together. So yeah. you have to you have to investigate further, you know. Yeah. And they're uh, frequently oblique, you know, it's not like, oh, that's what this is about. It actually rewards further thought and analysis, and you don't necessarily come up with an answer. Uh, and that's really fun, you know, uh, especially as someone who writes. Like, I love to leave a reader with questions, yep. you know, and they do that. So it's just, they're, yeah, it's a special, special band. <laughs> yeah. When you were taking uh, this deeper dive, like, and you were getting into the lyrics, were there any uh, songs that you were taking, like that you were investigating or that you were, you know, really wondering, like, what does this mean? What is this about? A any examples in particular? Right. Well, of course, you know, I mentioned Charlie Freak. I was yep. like, oh, my God, that's like beautiful. What? Poignant. <laughs> you know, so that was very special. Um, Deacon Blues. I mean, I want a name when I lose, <laughs> you know, just somebody thinking really in like mythologizing their own loserhood is fun, you know, I mean, and I think people can relate to that uh, a lot more than they can relate to, you know, somebody thinking about being the king of the world, <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, although that's the great song too. Um in fact, it also, um, Cousin Dupree, because people are like, whoa, what's that about? You know, you catch a few of the lyrics, but then you realize it's not saying, 
hey, you should have sex with your cousin, or hey, wouldn't it kind of be funny if you sort of had sex with your cousin? It's like a scathing, brutal indictment of this guy. Like, like it's like scorched earth at the end. This guy <laughs> just sucked and is just disassembled. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one, they, they don't leave uh, much to the imagination. Like in... Uh... I feel like everyone's gone to the movies is another song about like a total, mm-hmm. you know, sick pervert. And that one, mm-hmm. it's a little mm-hmm. bit like the lyrics <laughs> are less yeah. direct. Yeah. But on, on cousin Dupree, they don't, they don't leave anything uh, too. Ambiguous. I know. But then it's also fine to be a scumbag here and there too, because it's not like, you, you know, they definitely are assuming a lot of uh, personalities and characters and stuff in their lyrics. And, you know, it's fine to write about somebody who does bad things and put a funky beat to it. That's uh, okay. That's life, you know? Yeah, it's more of like, um, I mean, I think people just aren't used to that in music. Like when someone, like a singer-songwriter, you're assuming the person singing the song is assuming the role of the narrator. Yeah. But that's not how they do it necessarily. Oh, certainly not, yeah. I saw a tweet you posted. Uh, you said, um, I'm a fucking mess right now. I'm listening to Steely Dan all day and night and reading a book about them too. Never been happier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because like, for example, my wife is like, come on, man. You know, um, <laughs> I'm like talking about them to my friends. You Imagine know, like I've got feels, this. Rob. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so, but look, I even have on stage have been talking about it, doing stand up about how, you know, having a midlife crisis and Steely Dan is a great midlife crisis band because I mean, it seems like they just kind of played through it. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're a wonderful way. I mean, look, I'm not going to buy a Ferrari. I've I've got (laughs) kids. I got to raise, I don't drink alcohol or do drugs. So I, I'm not going to do that, but like, you know, getting just going super vertical into a band that doesn't even make music anymore. You know I mean? Like, yep. you know, Begin is touring right now, but you know, whatever. I'm not hurting anybody. Just having a good time. <laughs> yeah. There was actually, I think something about the pandemic where like everything kind of stopped. So newness wasn't as valued as, you know, as it usually is. And maybe people were more inclined yeah. to kind of, go back to things that they were a little bit familiar with or or like to the past and kind of really Mm -hmm. do a deep dive on something. Right. So yeah, obviously some of the bands like the beach boys are a great example because they have such a weird catalog of, again, you know, you know, I get around, you know, uh, good vibrations or all these other weird things that they did pet sounds and some of the albums after that are great. So, and you know, pet sounds being rightfully lauded as, you know, many people think it's the best album ever made. I would not argue with anybody on that. I'm crazy about it. Yeah. Um, But after that, when Brian Wilson started to spin out and the others did whatever they were doing, you can still assemble, you know, a couple albums worth of total masterpieces from the stuff, but it's, it's piecemeal after pet sounds. And another thing about like studio psychopaths like brian wilson the beatles and steely dan is you know as somebody who works in a creative field it is i think uh, worthwhile instructive inspiring to um be into a band like steely dan who says like it's okay to truly give a shit and really care and you know they're thinking stuff like all right you know, if they're writing songs about Charlie Parker and they know, you know, the entire history of jazz. Have you heard Fagan? You, I'm sure you have. Uh, talk about, um, I can't remember the director's name, but who made La La Land and uh, Whiplash. And he's making fun of saying like white people invented, saying that he says white people invented jazz. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't, but he's just ripping on him. 
Yeah, he was he was going after uh, Damien Chazelle for for a lot that's of right. Time. Yeah, yeah, and um, I uh, because I have so many children, I haven't seen everything that happened, so I can't I can't defend or indict Damien Chazelle. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, it's what the reason I brought it up is because you know uh, Fagan is is a notorious you know student of jazz and stuff, and um, so he's they're just they care and they're. Like a Steely Dan would go on a stage and be like, hey, you know what? Charlie Parker played here. We better bring it. You know what I mean? So they just have a respect for history. And they're also that wonderful union of like, you know, learn all the rules so you can forget them in terms of, you know, their knowledge of uh, musical theory and all that is like bananas. But then sometimes they'll do just something nasty like monkey in your soul. Yeah, monkey in your soul. Yeah. Um, You know, it's just like fart in a trash can base you know they're (laughs) just having fun you know Do you think that um, there's actually something to someone going through a midlife crisis and listening to Steely Dan? Like, because that trope comes up a lot. What What do you think it is about middle agedness and and a love of Steely Dan? I mean, for me, what it would be is yeah. that. So I'm hearing something from my own childhood. So I mean, middle age crisis means like you realize, whoa, there might be more in the rearview mirror than there is coming up, right? I think I had to go out and I had to listen to stuff like um like post bop jazz heavy metal um outlaw country all <laughs> kinds of stuff like I had to go through a, a, a you know it looks like I had to go through four and a half decades of learning about other kinds of music to find holy mackerel there's this band that actually does it all you know (laughs) and 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 puts it all together in a very beautiful way so i think that could possibly be a factor yeah um my ability to appreciate them uh, i guess i I took a while to develop to be able to, to appreciate as much as i do now you know yeah as an artist uh, yourself, do you think that there's something to like, like you were saying, um, Donald really taking things seriously? Is is that something you value, like as an artist, in particular? And why? And I can really relate to it, you know. And I can relate to creative partnerships as well, duos, you know, because mm. I wrote four seasons of a TV show uh, called Catastrophe with yeah. the amazing Sharon Horgan. So that was a, a thing where we were pushing each other to greater heights to the best of our abilities. We both knew that the other party involved, even if their idea might've been different, we both had the best interest of the project in mind, you know, and we would revise and revise and revise. Um, we did try to hire other writers <laughs> to help us uh, by the time the third season came along and we wound up not, doing it we were like ah, we got to do it all ourselves not really? that these guys weren't great and they right. really were but they just didn't have so i can relate to somebody being like <laughs> oh man you know whatever rick derringer did a great job but why don't we see what elliot randall has to do you know or something like like that because and then we were super hyper specific about the script like there's no improvising in catastrophe really because we do it all beforehand we did it in the room you know um and then locked it and didn't critically um have the millions of dollars behind us where and the cocaine 
and the like largesse of the seventies where, where we could, we, so we had to get to set ready to rock, you know? And I, I do wonder, you know, there's a version I'm sure. And this is, I'm sure a sacrilege for, to Steely Dan fans. There's a version of Asia where they had a quarter of the money and a quarter of the time and it would be, still be amazing but it would be a different kind of amazing you know um so there's that i just uh, i wrote a book that came out last year that i worked super closely with an editor um who we had had a great relationship with so i love to work like on -on one-on-one creative projects and i get it because you've got to be obsessive about certain aspects the best thing to do is to be obsessive about some aspects and to be totally loose and free with others. Um, and figuring out that what balance of that works for you, you know? Um, I think one thing that I really appreciate about, uh, like what you do and and also I, I guess what Donald does is, um, I feel like you don't really like make concessions like you're always really really authentic and true to your beliefs like in your political beliefs and then like on twitter why do you think you value authenticity to the degree that you do okay i don't i i understand this is a a a podcast about steely dan yeah but the real answer to that is yeah is um and for listeners who are like tuning in for steely dan stuff yeah you may be aware that uh, my son Henry died um, five years ago, and he died for anybody who doesn't know. Uh, he died of a brain tumor, and he was sick for some years before that. And so that was happening at the same time. Like he got sick not long after I got my first TV show on the air. So it was people were starting to learn who I was and I was like emerging into the public eye on a bigger level. At the same time, something really awful was happening in my life. So I'm so sorry about that. That's yeah. Thank you. And so for me, I don't really take credit for the fact that, because I agree with you. I do say what I mean. I don't really worry if it's going to be sort of, you know, unpopular in certain strata or whatever um because i something so bad happened to me that was so much worse than like a bad review right or um you know having to tighten my belt between paychecks or something like that it was it was so much worse than that so so now i don't that's the thing i don't care i don't care if one day an employer is like oh yeah he's too outspoken i'll be like well, all right, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll just go do stand-up you know um, or if people in TV are like, yeah, he's a live wire. Okay. I'll go write a book, you know, like. Maybe that's why Twitter was a good medium for you because it was unfiltered, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> and then also I a bit dis, you know, yeah. Things like Twitter or Instagram, you know, like are so silly that I all, anytime something new gets invented, I always want to use it in the silliest manner because people will be like, Oh, it's so revolutionary. What a breakthrough. <laughs> in the way to communicate. And I'm like, no, man, like, even if that is true, you still have to do silly stuff. I think any new thing must be stress tested with extreme silliness. um, So that we don't take ourselves too seriously. So I think anything that I say or do or make a commitment to publicly or link myself with or whatever, it's based in the fact that, you know, a really terrible thing happened to our family. So I just don't care about sort of quotidian consequences right and you see it happen and like i'm always when somebody like gets in trouble in the public eye i'm like why don't you just turn off your phone for a couple weeks you know because also people forget so fast and they feel like a big example to me is a a bunch of companies dropped michael phelps because he got photographed with a bong and i was like oh they're gonna regret that i mean fuck them. I don't care about yeah. these big publicly traded companies, but I was like, <laughs> that's a bad business decision because right. in a few weeks, people are going to forget that he smoked a bong 
And but you know what? He'll still be the best swimmer who ever lived. And you're gonna wish that he was still selling sneakers for you. You know what I mean? listened to a podcast the other day where some guys were listening to um the royal scam and they got to sign in stranger and they were like now i'm not nuts about this song and i was like what are you talking about are you crazy i mean uh to me that's like one of their best songs because it's just it's not um, Fagan on piano. I forget who it is. Yeah, Paul um, Griffin. Paul Griffin. Yeah. And then who's playing the drums on that? Uh, they, you know, for the Royal Scam, they've never actually uh, listed the uh, individual okay. players on the tracks. It might be Bernard Purdy because uh, he okay. plays on a lot of that album. But it's it's okay. It's not confirmed. So, I know that Paul Griffin is the pianist. Yeah. You know, I mean, the duet or the interplay between the piano. And the drums on that for me is yeah. like, that's like going to psycho class. I mean, it's so ferocious, both individually, then playing off of each other. Then like quick little horn section. How do you do near the end? I mean, I'm insane about that song. So I wanted to uh, threaten <laughs> the guys who did that, which yeah. is it's a great podcast. And yeah. in fact, um but it's also fun to passionately disagree with people about things and make a, yeah. to make a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, I I've, I absolutely fucking love. That's one of my favorites, Daily Dance songs. I think so. Yeah. I'm with you. It's just so good. I love the lyrics too because it's 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 yeah. kind of sci-fi. It reminds me a little bit of Philip K. Dick. It's like uh, yeah, yeah, Turkish yeah. Union dudes. <laughs> <laughs> How do they come up with some of those? Yeah, have you heard yeah. about the boom on Mizar Five? Our five, baby. The opening line is one of the best opening lines, I think, of a yeah. Steely Dan song. <laughs> what are some of your other just favorite tracks? I guess you've named um, in the whole Charlie Freak. Yeah, well, you know what I cannot listen to enough is the song itself, Everything Must Go. Mm. Um, I'm really crazy about that song. I love the saxophone on that. Um, it's kind of reminds me of... Um, Who's the guy? I'll think of it. But that that's a really beautiful melody in that. That's kind of climbing and aspirational. I think that song is very special. And I really love that it's their last song, you know, um, as Steely Dan. Do you think they knew that um, was going to be the end? Because there's some speculation that they knew that that was going to be their last album and the last song. I mean, I'll tell you what, you, <laughs> you couldn't pick a better one, you know, yeah. and it, 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 it is a swan song, you right. know, kind of by any definition. So, so if they did, then they did, they chose wisely with that one, but it would also be fun. I don't know. <laughs> if I was like your gold teeth three was the last <laughs> one or, um, and then, Oh, I love the song third world man. I know, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who complain uh especially with the the reemergence of uh, or rediscovery of um the second arrangement that uh that would have been a better way to go out but i guess i was just so used to um third world man is the end and i really like that darkness and sadness also anything dark and sad i listen to a lot of dark and sad music as well so <laughs> yeah. anytime silly dan goes dark i'm like oh can't yeah they're good at it can't get enough um jack of speed i love that <laughs> song yeah um you know the the last two albums uh have fine i've finally started to crack you know yeah they were harder for me um so. i'm glad you picked something off and everything must go because of the nine steely den albums that's the one that gets like for, you know from what i've seen by far the least amount of uh like yeah chatter and attention and it's a great album so yeah, and that song in particular for yeah. me is um, is one of their best. Um, oh, also, I don't know if you've spoken about it on here, but uh, yeah. it's so funny to me. Um, 
how, how explicitly. So for guys as, as unbelievably, you know, created out of whole cloth, just masters of composition that they explicitly broad daylight ripped off Keith Jarrett <laughs> with the song Gaucho. Because if you listen to, um, long as you know, whatever the song that it is, yeah. do you know the title of it off the top of your head? It's like long as you know, you're living yours or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's yeah bananas to hear <laughs> those two side by like it's like bana- and it's to the point that it's funny that guys those uh, that good at what they do just for like yeah this is also um ours <laughs> they um, actually was... probably would have gotten away with it because after the yeah. release of gaucho there was nothing mm-hmm. and then in a mm-hmm. i think it was in a, a year or two later in a in an interview the um the interviewer actually brought it up. He was like, you know, that mm. piano riff on Gaucho sounds mm. really similar to a Keith Jarrett song. And uh, they kind of deflected, but basically admitted that they stole it because I think they wanted mm. to show that mm. like they had, they could get away with it because, you know, they were Donald yeah. and Walter and uh, yeah. they got sued. So. So funny. And then years <laughs> later, and then they had to recoup their losses by suing all hip hop samplers. Yeah. That's so fucking um, hypocritical. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny. Yeah. Um, but it's also, Hey man, they're human beings and it's, yeah. you know, be boring if they were, per- it's fun. That's another great thing about them. They're weird guys, yeah. you know, and that's great. Well, anytime your entire life is going to be like, you know, because they do inspire a sort of obsessive fandom. So people, mm-hmm. you know, hold a microscope up to every single decision totally, they yeah. ever made. And if you do that, mm-hmm. you know, over the, you know, and they started when they were really young. So if you do that over the span yeah. of, you know, yeah. of a whole life, you're going to find stuff that's not yeah. always going to be, you know. But um, yeah, one other uh, thing I want to ask you. So um, mm-hmm. do you think, because you're, you know, you've had a lot of success with Twitter. Right. That was, I think that really mm-hmm. helped launch your, your career, right? Your comedy career. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the whole Steely Dan kind of being back and it, it feels like Steely Dan has kind of been more omnipresent recently. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is because it's, they're big on Twitter. Do you think that there's something yeah. related there, like Steely Dan, something in Steely Dan makes it conducive to a Twitter phenomenon? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I do because <laughs> they are they're quite particular, right? But um, it's like everybody knows them a little bit. And, but the more you learn, the more you're rewarded. So it is kind of the perfect sort of worm holy thing for somebody to, um, because plus how everybody has their weird little niches on the internet, you know, and little silos that they get into. Dan is quite a rewarding one, you know? And then... I mean, they would probably be popular on on Twitter anyway for like the way Walter Becker looked and dressed in the seventies. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like mm. tailor made <laughs> because he looks weird as hell, but cool too. He looks like seventy five percent weird, twenty percent cool, <laughs> and five percent totally doesn't care right. what you think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Like he looks, he has a beard, yet he looks a little bit like a teenage girl with like beautiful, long, straight hair, <laughs> you know, glasses that every single one of us had one or two uncles that wore like, you know, prescription tinted sunglasses, you know, and like, <laughs> um, yeah, they are, I would say, pretty ideally suited for, for that type of thing, you know, or like Donald with a Snapple. They just... <laughs> it's that it's that type of you can get like a you you get a whole world from any snapshot of um Donald and Walter in their heyday that is sort of fun to explore through a, a, a quirky online lens, you know. Yeah, their features kind of complement each other. You know, Walter has a very round head, and Donald's yeah. is extremely rectangular. So I don't know. Yeah, he has that yeah. big mouth, and then Walter has kind of small. Yeah, small facial features. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so good to easy to caricature. Yeah, you know? exactly. 
And uh, it's funny you say uncle because a lot of your uh, a lot of your jokes are like you know like my uncle Kevin or right? yeah, you do yeah. these kind of characters that are usually like fr <laughs> fringe relatives, right? Is that yeah, I don't know why. How did you start doing that? I just I'm not really sure. I think yeah. like because I mean I'm always thinking about like family and stuff, but the people yeah. who are just one step removed are just always a little weirder and funnier, like a cousin <laughs> or an uncle, because like you know them but you don't know them that well um so there's like danger <laughs> with like cousins and uncles you know yeah, cousin like Dupree. oh what happened well yeah my cousin ricky you know oh christ where's this gonna <laughs> go um so they're kind of yeah cousins and uncles it's sort of like they're like the uncanny valley you you know what i mean because right. like you meet someone's cousin or uncle and they look like them but like it's a little off and so it's immediately funny Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I get another thing I would like to say is, sure. you know, to just mount a kind of um, aggressive defense of like the first two albums uh, or three, I guess, before yeah. they sort of become more what they're known for yeah. um, by the heavy duty fans. Because I think that there, again, is an alternate world. They were such an amazing band when they were a band by the sort of normal standards that if, and it's up and look, I'm glad they did what they did. It's obviously, we really probably wouldn't be here talking about this if they hadn't, but I think there's an amazing sort of parallel band where they did, you know, roughly keep together a similar lineup, you know, <laughs> did, um, freak out less in the studio um in a less despotic manner uh where they could have become something uh incredibly wonderful but yes very different um you know because i'm I, you know like their first album is unbelievable you know as is their second one when they're more of a collective you know i know Walter and Donald are, are still driving the bus, but you know, here in like the filthy, filthy guitar <laughs> of Skunk Baxter, yeah, um, you know, cutting loose, you know, and not being like granularly guided, yeah, um, is is very wonderful. So I guess sort of there's sort of like two bands, I suppose. There's yeah before and after and they're both incredible but uh it's also great to hear just like because skunk isn't someone i think they would have chosen i mean they didn't choose to have him play on those yeah. later albums so it's cool to hear yeah. donald and walter's songs in like a more you know when they're a rock and roll band and there's unfortunately there's a few bootlegs there's only a few but they're great if you, yeah. if you ever want to listen to some live some of those live shows they're, they're pretty great they rip with skunk yeah, well, they actually in in '74 yeah. they were touring as an eight piece band with uh, two drummers and Skunk and Denny and uh, Michael McDonald yeah. when he was really young is also Ooh. in that band and they're they're yeah there's a couple bootlegs and they're they're incredible like they're they're oh, okay great yeah maybe you could lead me in that direction uh, I'd be happy um, to, yeah. when we're off the air yeah yeah um, but here's the thing though is yeah. what I would say to them you know in yeah. a fantasy world where they call yeah. me in to help produce or engineer <laughs> um which you know I, I one little butterfly wing movement and that's what could have happened is I would say when you have somebody like Skunk Baxter playing just filthy garbage I mean, beautiful, incredible, muscular guitar like that. Yeah. It contrasts to the more studied, angular, smoother mm -hmm. stuff and make can make it look more beautiful. Right. So there's real value in having a guitar player lose his mind um, <laughs> and be free to do whatever he wants um, or more of what he wants. I think can can kind of highlight some of the stuff that you might have thought it would bury or uh, overpower. I I think you know that 
yeah, should it's, be. it's also interesting to see how Skunk's trajectory, I don't know how much you know about Skunk Baxter, but he ended up becoming a, uh, a consultant for the Pentagon. I, I do know that. And yeah. that's way beyond fascinating. Yeah. And it was like his uh, obsession with like, you know, you know, analog recording. It, it was that same part of the brain that led him into, yeah. you know, like, you know, yeah. weapons defense. Um, it's just funny to see how like the same stew that was building those early Steely Dan records ended up yeah. <laughs> completely. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah but of course you do have to rein a guy like skunk in because you know you hear his solo album and then you're like oh boy you know yeah. he's a guy who ben does benefit from some serious guardrails yes <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i'm a lot of people a lot of people that worked with steely dan did great work but yeah you know i, I see some of these guys that were you know they're they're session musicians or, or engineers and they've been in the music business for their whole life but the thing that they tend to get asked the most about or that people yeah. know them from is often, even if they only played on a few songs, it's from Steely Dan. So there's something about yeah. how Walter and Donald were, you know, utilizing their skills that, right. you know, just they, they knew what to do in this, in a way that something about yeah. the alchemy of whatever was going on in the, those studio sessions. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But well, it's kind of, I don't know. It's like if, I don't know, a mediocre band from the seventies, like is like, is it lays a big egg and you're like, yep, that's an egg. All right. You know, but then Steely Dan is like this amazing Fabergé egg <laughs> that you can open up and be like, what is going on in there? And there's right. like, you know, like a mechanical horse and cart <laughs> and little, little firework display like that's why they're so fun is because there's such detail there's yeah. so many layers like if you really heard them like build a song track by track it's it's mesmerizing because of the attention to detail that goes into it you know kind of funny to, i think about like born to run you know um yeah. by bruce springsteen he was became a, a, like a sort of Becker and Fagan in the studio for an album like that, but it sounds yeah. so different, you know. Um, I mean, of course it does. He's a different person, but it's just no. But I know what you mean. About... It's not like like you're saying. It's not the egg, right? It's it's more. No, it's not the Fabergé egg. I mean, it's an album I enjoy, but it's not. Yeah. Um, I don't know. In my opinion, and I yeah. like Bruce Springsteen a lot. Sure. It doesn't necessarily reward sort of forensic you know, going over it with <laughs> a yeah. black light and fingerprinting it and all that, you know? Well, it's interesting to think about like, like the rock album is a, you know, it's a representation of a band, right? Maybe the band yeah. is the, the thing first, you know, the live band, yeah. like Bruce, there's so yeah. much character and performance in what he does. True. Um, whereas Steely Dan, they were crafting an album. It was almost like they were, they were making a movie, you know, it was this, it was yeah. its own art form yeah. separate from like, what mm -hmm. the band was it's the band didn't even exist in, in the later years so yeah, yeah i think you're absolutely right um yeah yeah it's funny two two tri-state i mean there's a lot of these guys that grew up around the same time and like you know billy joel bruce springsteen you know donald yeah. you know these, these sort of new york area you know they all weirdos that went on to to have oh yeah you know rock star success yeah. but it's just it's interesting to see you know, the, the way that they the do it. Yeah. I wonder if there was any crossover with them and Lou Reed just experientially or friendship wise or anything. Do you know, would you know anything about that? Uh, the, I don't think they were friends. I can, I can pretty mm. safely say that, but I know they were fans of the Velvet Underground, at least at some point. I think, I think I, I don't think I'm making this up. I think Donald and Walter or at least Walter saw the Velvet Underground live in like 1967 mm -hmm. or 68. Okay. I'm pretty sure that happened. And they were fans at first. And then I think like they quickly lost interest, you know, like they, mm -hmm. they, they can be very dismissive of things that now when we sit back, we look back, we say, Oh, that their whole discography is incredible. But like when yeah. you're reading these quotes of interviews of Donald there's like, yeah, they did one interesting album. And then they like, they yeah. lo I lost interest because 
I don't know. They were just kind of pretentious music, you know, musos or whatever. Yeah. Um, the only reason I, I think about yeah. Lou Reed is because he became quite a gearhead and a studio weirdo um, after the uh, Velvet Underground. Um, but it, that might have, that wave might have crested after the mid 70s. And also being like a brill building um songwriter you know what i mean like lou reed had amazing songwriting chops that were very evident and they go through all his stuff as weird as he ever got so i guess i just think that there are a couple pretty serious parallels between oh definitely fun if they would have fun to force them to collaborate (laughs) at gunpoint or something (laughs) yeah that's another like you know two trajectories that went in different because if you listen to um God, I hate to be a nerd about this, but if you listen to the the Brill Building songs, the demos that Becker and Fagan recorded while they were yeah. songwriters at the Brill Building, it sounds a lot yeah. like kind of almost closer to like Lou Reed songs because it's it's yeah. taking you know like the the sort of R and B and yeah. soul that they yeah. heard on the radio and then putting really fucking weird lyrics and like songs yeah. about drug dealers. Oh. And, uh, no, I mean that, that's know. a huge compliment that anybody including <laughs> uh uh fagan and becker should be proud to receive i know i know um yeah. oh let me tell you about a steely dan uh, or a donald fagan fantasy that i have okay. it's mostly not non, non-sexual <laughs> but um i am blown away like blown against the wall by yeah. how improbably good david crosby's last four or so albums are yeah um like it's like we like d- what like you're on your I said, <laughs> was he on his was he on his third liver and he's like 80 <laughs> and he's so exploring he's not doing like what rod stewart does which is like farts out an album of <laughs> saccharine standards that right. sucks you know like yeah. um but he is doing incredibly like forward thinking collaborative jazz rock and roll and yeah. you, i'm sure you're aware that fagan wrote a song for him on his last album um but what i was thinking is because of the mutual respect between um fagan and, and crosby and crosby's albums are all produced by his son those last few albums i was thinking and how good Rodriguez for a night is the song that Fagan wrote for David Crosby. Right. I was thinking Fagan and Crosby's son should just get together and jam. Uh, a for me personally, <laughs> but B they would probably have fun and it would make something good. And I think they would be kindred spirits. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they're, well, I know Cros- I mean, Crosby played uh, a show with them, a couple shows with them yeah. right, right towards the end there. And um Not- I don't, and I, I know Fagan was briefly touring with some of the younger guys. Like he, he was touring mm-hmm. with this group. This was actually right around the time when, when Walter passed away in 2017. Mm-hmm. That summer, he was touring with this little group called the Night Flyers that was just like musicians yeah. in like the Woodstock area. So I know he's open yeah. to collaborating with sort of like, you know, more forward thinking yeah. or younger guys with chops. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. You know, Donald, I don't know. These days, he, he I don't, at least post pandemic, he hasn't really been into any kind of risk taking. You know, he's just like they're doing oh, sure, yeah. the same band. I don't know if it's an age thing. I mean, he's getting up there, so or oh, if God, he's just yeah. tired. You know, he's not. But he he did apparently write new songs and is planning on recording another album at some point. So oh, that's amazing. Which, which yeah, forgive me. I don't. I hate it. I hate to refer to somebody as David Crosby's son. His name is James Raymond. Okay, and he's obviously a gifted producer. So my my right. fantasy uh music camp uh whatever uh yeah. would be that fagan and, and james raymond get together and, and make an album um or three or four doesn't have to be just one <laughs> you know here i am aiming low when really <laughs> yeah and they're beautifully produced i mean some of those crosby songs also sounded a lot like steely dan because i know he's a huge oh, yeah admirer of donald and there, there was one song where it was just like He's just doing Donald. Like it was just straight up a Donald Fagan. Yeah. And you know what? I love that. I love that because David Crosby, I mean, his, he's a guy whose oeuvre, it really rewards exploration. I mean, amazing, amazing uh, singer and songwriter. And um, that he unabashedly is like, loves 
Billy Dan is so cool. You know, I mean, when people are yeah. really open and about what they admire yeah. and allow themselves to be influenceable, especially when you're that huge, is really cool. Um, yeah, that he was showing such incredible uh, appreciation of someone who's arguably less famous than him. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like yeah. he, was, he yeah. was like Bruce Springsteen is a god or Bob Dylan. It was like, no, Donald yeah. Fagan is a rung below yeah. in terms of just. Yeah you know, yeah. name recognition, uh, yeah. Donald, but he was like, no, like my hero is Don, my musical hero is Donald Fagan. Yeah. Here's a song so that I'm trying to do Donald Fagan. I, I yeah, I love yeah. and his voice, it was amazing right up until the end. Like his voice never really lost it. So, oh, man. I once rode with an angel through the whole royal car Settle down 